All right, well, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Those of you just now tuned in, uh, and welcome to our Bible study. Uh, and tonight we're going to study the ninth and final quality of the fruit of the Spirit. In the last two studies, if you remember, I told you that the fruit of the Spirit, oh, I'm sorry, but the fruit of faithfulness was probably the most fascinating study for me personally. Then last week I told you that the, the fruit of gentleness was probably the least appealing to some of you who have type A personalities. Uh, tonight's study, uh, I would probably list as the most confusing of all of the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason I say it's confusing is because of what we're studying. We're studying the fruit of self-control. I mean, just, just look at this for a moment. The fruit of self-control. Isn't this supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit? And the answer, of course, is yes. And we've said for the last eight weeks or so that the things that we're talking about regarding the fruit of the Spirit, that it's not the fruit of self, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not what you can accomplish, it's what the Spirit of God does. And so as we look at this text or this topic tonight, the fruit of self-control, that actually seems a little bit confusing. Let me pause for a moment before we get too far, just to remind ourselves again what the fruit of the Spirit actually is. I would define it this way. It is the change in our character that comes about because of the Holy Spirit's work within us. The change in our character because of the Holy Spirit's work within us. So, look up here for Let me tell you this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those, those kind of things are all possible because of the Holy Spirit living in us and the Holy Spirit working through us. Charles Stanley said it this way. He said, these virtues aren't given to us as goals to pursue because you and I cannot produce fruit. The Holy Spirit is the producer we're merely the bearers. The Holy Spirit, uh, or the fruit of the Spirit, was never intended to demonstrate our dedication or our resolve. Rather, it reveals our dependency on and our sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why this is so confusing. The fruit of self-control. We do not become Christians on our own, nor do we grow as a Christian on our own. Let, let me show you a verse here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says it this way. For it is God who works in you. To will and to act according to his good pleasure. The scripture is very clear. Paul is writing this text to the church at Philippi. He said it's God who's working in you. And he's to accomplish what he wants you to do. And yet when we come to Galatians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles. To Galatians chapter 5. We come to the fruit of the Spirit, and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one, verse 23, and self-control. I think you and I on the surface could all agree that that seems like a contradiction in terms. To talk about the fruit of the Spirit and talk about self-control. So let's start with this basic question. Here's the question. What is the fruit of self-control? What is the fruit of self-control? Well, the Greek word 
The Greek word here means the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. This idea of self-control is talking about one who masters his desires and passions. It's interesting how the King James translates self-control. Some of you, I know, have King James versions. What's the word that they use there in the King James? Temperance. Thank you. Temperance. Uh, That's a word we don't use a lot in today's society. Temperance. Uh, Some of you remember it in connection to alcohol, the temperance society, and those kind of things. But the word temperance simply means moderation, voluntary restraint. Self-control, then, is the ability to, to kind of harness or to control your wants and your desires. Sometimes, in order to understand what a word is, it's good to understand the opposite of that word. And I would say the opposite of self-control is self-indulgence. Does that make sense to you? The opposite of self-control would be self-indulgence. We've seen recently in the news far too many examples, sadly, of prominent Christians and prominent leaders, prominent ministers who have given in to self-indulgence, who have lacked self-control. I'm not going to name names. It's not my purpose tonight. Most recently, a lot of you probably are aware of a famous Christian apologist. And he made the headlines after his death for all the wrong reasons. And again, I'm not going to get into that situation. But, but the man that was held in such high esteem, the man that had an international ministry, the man that had a, an intellect that few of us uh, have ever seen, much less possessed, that man apparently gave in to self-indulgence, or at least those were the accusations. And what we find, both in his example, as well as in the example, unfortunately, of many Christian leaders in recent years, is that lack of self-control kills self-respect. It often kills marriages and careers and ministries. Now, this might be where you say, well, Keith, I'm still confused. I thought we're supposed to be spirit-controlled. And we are. And here's where the problem is for all of us. When we hear self-control, especially when we look at it in the English uh, in language, it is a little bit misleading. It sounds like it's something that's possible for us to do by ourselves. I mean, that makes sense. That self-control sounds like something we do by ourselves. But here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our only hope of knowing self-control is to live a life that is spirit-controlled. I want to write that one down. Our only hope of knowing self-control is to live a life of, that is spirit-controlled. Let me say it this way. We'll put it on the screen. The only way to have real control over yourself is to allow the Holy Spirit to have control over you. That's what the Bible means by self-control. Self-control is not something necessarily that I bring about. And it's confusing because of the English word that we use. But it's not something that I'm capable of producing. But it's something that I'm capable of doing because of the Holy Spirit within me. The only way to have real control over yourself is to allow the Holy Spirit to have control over you. Now I've got a wonderful illustration you're going to like. 
Let me show it to you. Have you ever seen dogs that can do this? You put a little treat on their nose, you say, stay, 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 stay. And that dog just sits there, treat on its nose, until you say, okay. And then all of a sudden, poof, it eats the treat. Anybody got a dog like that? I, I, I've never had one. I don't know. And none of you have either. Okay. I feel better then. I don't feel so bad. But, but I've seen, you know, videos of this, and certainly there's a lot of pictures of this. I can guarantee you a couple of things just looking at this picture and the videos that I've seen like this. This dog is, is demonstrating or displaying self-control, is he not? Don't you know that dog wants that biscuit? Or dog, what, what would you call that? That's a, whatever, the tree, we'll call it a tree. This dog is displaying self-control, that's absolutely evident. But he's, he's displaying self-control because, watch this, don't miss this. He's displaying self-control because he's under the control of his master. I guarantee you the dog wants the treat. But he wants to please his master more. One of the proofs of God working in your life is the desire and the ability to control your own words and thoughts and actions. I want to say it one more time. The only way to have real control over yourself is to allow the Holy Spirit to have control over you. Now the problem is not just that you and I are weak-willed, though we are. Rather, the problem is that you and I have a fallen nature that is under the influence of sin. In fact, the Bible calls it, we, we won't read the text, but in Romans 6, 6, the Bible describes our situation this way, that we are slaves to sin. We're under the influence of sin. We, we've been a slave to sin. Now, talk to me for a minute. I, I want your response. How would you describe sin? If you had to define it to somebody that's never known that word, how would you define sin? Actions contrary to the will of God. That's a good definition. Somebody else? Alright, he gave a good definition, so we'll just go with that one. Actions contrary to the will of God. My definition is, and and this is, I found this somewhere, I don't remember where, filling a legitimate need through illegitimate means. Filling a legitimate need through illegitimate means. Now, here's what I know about me, and maybe you would say this is true about you as well. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I often choose the wrong way to meet our needs. Would you agree with that? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's so easy to choose the wrong way to meet our needs. In fact, if you think about it, the times we most regret are the times when we lost control. Right? Those are the times we most regret. When we thought we had it in control. And we lost control. And tragically, too often, our reputations, our lives, our marriages, sometimes our careers are often at risk because we lose control. 
Someone said, we are desperate for self-control, and in its absence, we are drowning in self-defeat. Apostle Paul addresses this issue. I want you to go with me uh, over to the left and find the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at several scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we come to chapter 6, verse 12, if you'll see the beginning of verse 12, there are quotation marks. Do you see that in your Bible? More than likely, Paul here, as he writes this letter, he's quoting the Corinthian congregation who basically were boasting that they had the right to do whatever they pleased. So when you see these quotations, Paul is likely quoting something that he, they've said to him, and then he's responding to their quotation. So verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. That's the quotation. That's, that's what Paul has heard the Corinthians say. Everything is permissible for me. And then Paul's response is, but not everything is beneficial. And then another quote that he's heard. Everything is permissible for me. It's the same thing. But Paul says, but I'll not be mastered by anything. That's the second half of the verses where I want you to notice. The Corinthians were apparently saying, they're boasting that they have the right to do whatever they please. And Paul warns, yes, perhaps, but always remember this. You can be enslaved by those things you become indulged by or that you indulge in. In other words, your freedoms can lead to bondage. And Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, Paul understood that we all have the tendency to make the wrong choices. We all have the, the ability to choose that which, which will meet our needs. And sometimes we choose the wrong way to meet our needs. And Paul says, and I don't want to be in bondage or, in, or enslaved or mastered by anything. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, if I were to give you a 3 by 5 card and say, here's what I want you to do. On that 3 by 5 card, I want you to list the, the enemies of your soul. Summarize. What are the enemies of your soul? If I were to give you that 3 by 5 card, how many things do you think you would write on it? Just, you don't have to answer that one out loud, but I want you to think about that. If I were to hand you the 3 by 5 card and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to list scripturally I want you to list the enemies of your soul. How many things would you write on that card? I would write three. And I'll show you where they are in Scripture. Uh, you're in 1 Corinthians. Go over to the right and go to Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If I were to take that 3 by 5 card, let me tell you the three things I would write on that card as the enemies of our soul. And then I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. The three, thing, the three enemies of our soul, for every person here, every person watching online, the three enemies of our soul are these. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now you probably are aware of that. But let me show you this in Scripture, how Paul talks about this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1. As for you, you folks there in Ephesus, you who are now believers, 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Enemy number one. You followed the ways of this world. The world is one of the enemies. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Enemy number two. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the desires or the cravings of our sinful nature. Enemy number three. Our sinful nature. Our flesh. And following its desires. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Just to complete the thought, let's continue to read verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, though you, you had three enemies of your soul, there is one who has been victorious over all three enemies. Can I get an amen? Even though there are three enemies of your soul, for every person, three enemies of our soul, there is one who has been victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, follow me carefully. The key to self-control, listen, those watching online, listen carefully. The key to self-control is the refusal to allow our enemies to rule over us or, have, or, or to master us. We, hear me and hear me well. We have been given victory over those three enemies. Jesus has given us victory over the flesh. He's given us victory over our world. He's given us even victory over our accuser. They have no authority over us whatsoever unless we yield that authority to them. Beth Moore said, In the life of a believer, they can rule only where they are invited. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They've got no power over you unless you invite them. Allow them to have that power. So, when the Spirit of God is working in your life, the fruit of that is that you will exhibit self-control. But it's not really self-control as much as it is allowing the Spirit of God to control yourself. Does that make sense? It really is the Spirit of God controlling yourself. It's self making the right decisions. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be mastered by anything. You know what that was? That was the spirit of self-control. That was the Spirit of God living in Paul saying, you don't have to be in control of that. You don't have to be mastered by that. The Lord Jesus has defeated that enemy. 
You don't have to be mastered by that. And Paul says, listen, I understand who I am in Christ Jesus. I understand what he's done for me. And he's beaten the three greatest enemies of my soul. And I will not be mastered by anything. I will not yield control to any of those things. So the fruit of the Spirit is simply the Spirit of God at work in your life. Giving you the desire and the knowledge and the ability to control yourself. Giving you the desire and the knowledge and the ability to control yourself. Self-indulgence or self-control, that's the choice. Self-indulgence or self-control. And we make that choice. And we, watch this, listen, we're either led by the Spirit or we're led by the flesh. Guess who makes the decision? We do. Self does. Now, here's the second, here's the second point. Self-control protects us from the enemy. My goodness, this, this is such a good verse Go over to the Old Testament, Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. This is one of those verses, if you mark your Bible, this is one of those verses you need to underline, highlight in your Bible. And even if you don't mark your Bible, this would be a good verse for you to mark in your Bible. It's that important. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The writer of Proverbs said, let me, let me paint a word picture for you. Let me show you how important self-control is. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In other words, without self-control, we're like a city with broken down walls. Or to say it to you this way, without self-control, we are very vulnerable. Without self-control, we will be attacked. Without self-control, we're like a city whose walls are broken down and we will be defeated. Now, you need to understand the role of the walls in the ancient days. We don't live in a city with walls around it. But in the ancient days, a city was only as secure as the walls that surrounded it. In fact, uh, they, they went to great lengths to make sure that the walls were big, and high, and wide, archaeologists working in Nineveh, uh, they've discovered and, and believed that the walls of Nineveh were three chariots wide. And what that means is the wall was so wide that three chariots could have driven on top of the walls around Nineveh. Three chariots wide. That's how important the walls were in that day. And the writer of Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In other words, without self-control, your life is vulnerable to the enemy. I can promise you this. I can promise you that the enemy of your soul is always looking for those places in the wall that are broken down. I can promise you he's looking for that crumbling section of your protective wall. That one out-of-control area of your life where He can conquer you and bring you into bondage. That one place where the wall around your life is crumbling. That's the place where the enemy is looking to attack. 
like a city whose walls are broken down, is a man who lacks self-control. That's how the enemy brings us into bondage. That's how the enemy conquers us. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they find the wall broken down in a certain area. And that's the vulnerable spot they attack. Now the Bible has a great deal to say about self-control. We don't have time to to dig into these, but I think we do have time to at least read them. The Bible has a lot to say about self-control. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Back in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Or other translations say, self-control. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of of power and love and self-control. Go over to the right to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Now, read this carefully. Read this slowly. His divine power. Whose divine power? Talk to me. Whose divine power? God's. His divine, not your power. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glorious goodness. In other words, God has given us and He continues to give us everything that we need to live a godly life. Everything that we need to make the right decisions. God has provided all that we need to live a godly life. So keep reading. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Now watch carefully. Participate in the divine nature, Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And we, we could just stay there for a while, but let's keep reading. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you, watch this, verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Self-control is one of the things that can keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. But again, it's not just self-controlling self. It is the Holy Spirit of God living in me, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to control me. And when I allow the Holy Spirit of God to control me, then I have control over me through Him. All right, let me give you one more. This is, this is a good one as well. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Watch this. It teaches us how to have self-control. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, Godly lives. Well, I'm trying to decide how I'm going to finish. Let me ask you this question right here. How do we experience self-control? I, let me just give you the words and, and then we'll conclude here by reading real quickly a, a few things. First of all, stay alert. Stay alert. The New Testament has a warning for all of us. It's found in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 8, you're very familiar with this. But the Bible says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be self-controlled and alert. Because you have an enemy of your soul and he's trying his best to devour you. You know, whenever you see somebody that that really is struggling in, in, a, in an area. Well, let, let me just read the illustration I put down on my notes. When you're at a ball game, have you ever been at a ball game and you see this obnoxious fan that just keeps fussing and cussing at everybody that, they fear, that, that they're near? They're fussing and cussing at the refs and they're spilling their beer on you and they're, you know, you know, they just make the game miserable. Or, have you ever been around an alcoholic and he or she, they're mumbling and, and they're not making a lot of sense. And th- th- they, just, they just have ruined their lives and they're blaming everybody else and their mom and their dad. And, and it's always somebody else's fault. Or, have you ever known maybe a shopaholic and you look at their credit card and it just is unbelievable how much they owe on their credit card and they just keep going out and buying stuff they don't even need and they still got it in bags. And it's There's a common thread in every one of those scenarios I painted for. You know what the common thread is? They didn't get that way overnight. It happened over time. There's an ongoing lack of self-control. I want you to hear that again. It was an ongoing lack of self-control. A.W. Tozer, the great A.W. Tozer said, no man suddenly goes base. Put in contemporary words, no man suddenly falls. So, be alert. Look for the signs of problems creeping into your life. Number two, search your heart. Search your heart. Would you go quickly to Genesis? I'm going to go through this in about two minutes. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4.
A lot of people think that the reason that they lose self-control is that they just didn't try hard enough to do it right. But the Bible says that the problem is deeper than that. The problem is not necessarily you didn't try hard enough. The problem is that you have a heart that is deceitful. You have a heart that lies to you. Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his son or to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was, what's that next phrase? Cain was what? Very angry. And his face was downcast. Now read carefully what happens. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Watch carefully. Verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. It desires to have you. You must master it. Sin is crouching at our door too. We have an advantage he didn't have. The Holy Spirit of God living in us. Number three, stay alert, search your heart, surrender to the Spirit. That's a summary uh, of everything we've talked about. Our sin nature is an obstacle to us having control over ourselves. And it is only as the Spirit of God lives in us and we yield to Him that we're able to control ourselves and live the godly life God has for us. And what I have found in pastoring and what I have found in my own life is the greatest joys are when I have yielded to the Spirit of God and the greatest heartaches is when I have yielded to my flesh. One of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit of God is in you and working through you. Self-control. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this word and for this study that we've had for reminding us that you are our greatest source of strength. You are the one living in us. You have given us victory over the enemies that we face. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I pray that if anyone here or anyone listening online, if they're truly struggling in an area May they yield that to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit of God, would you build that wall back in my life? Holy Spirit of God, I don't want to be susceptible to the enemy. Build the wall back in my life. May we be obedient to your word and to your spirit. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.